Hi, I'm Yushuan Su. And I'm Connor Campbell. You're listening to Into the Unknown. Good morning. Welcome back to Into the Unknown. Today we have another guest, but before we introduce that guest, Yushuan, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a, it's been a hot minute. It's been a hot minute <laughs> since all, you've been on. All of you who have missed this, uh, <laughs> this this friendly voice, I don't know how many of you do, but uh, no, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they listen to you more than they listen to me. The power duo is back. We've got a. Uh, a third wheel today and we're super super honored and excited to have our guest but Connor I'm gonna let you introduce her absolutely guys so today we have on Mary Beachy so let me tell you a little bit about Mary before we before we uh, bring her on we're gonna give you a little bit of hype Mary so Mary is <laughs> a very you. accomplished 400 meter runner with a personal best of 5260 to be honest with you I don't even think I could run 200 meters in 5260 like that's <laughs> insane uh, over the years, she's represented GB on multiple occasions, notably European indoor champs, uh, where she won a silver, European team champs, and European outdoor champs, where she won bronze medal, respectively. So she's she's pretty highly, uh, you know, she's pretty high regarded in in the uh, athletics field. Alongside her athletics, she studied uh, a BSc or an undergrad in biomedical science. She went on to do an MSc in neuroscience. And if that's not enough for you, she's now completing her PhD in psychological research. Uh, one more thing, one more thing. Aside from the academics and the athletic endeavours, let me just give you an idea of the strength that she has. So back when I first started coaching her, we were obviously preparing her for uh, multiple competitions. Imagine, right, a 50, maybe 50 to 60 kilo female putting on 200 kilos on a bar, getting under the bar in about a half squat position off the pins, just driving it off the pins and standing that shit up multiple times without even breaking a sweat. Now she's at 210, so, you know, arguably she's stronger. Anyway, Mary, that's enough from me. I'll stop talking. Thank you what so much for coming on to the podcast. Wow, what an introduction. <laughs> oh, God, my head is like swelling up. I'm like, guys, you can't talk to me anymore, you know? <laughs> we got to pay yes. for my time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those headphones don't fit anymore. <laughs> uh, oh gosh, thank you guys for having me. I'm super excited to join the podcast. Um, yeah, wow, amazing, amazing introduction. Thank, thanks. Can I say as well, like this really goes to show what kind of a person you are in in a good way, obviously. But because um, I first met you, or, or was it 2017 or something like that? And but yeah, at 2018. The time we were both. Um, both on the King's um, King Sport Performance Athlete Program. And so obviously I knew that, you know, we were all like students. So I knew that you're at uni and you're also very um, high achieving in your sport and, and whatever. But then I just Googled you like to prepare for this <laughs> podcast. Like, wow, like she's done a lot. <laughs> and I just, knew, and I could never tell just from, just from our conversations and how humble you are. So yeah, no, solid. Oh, stop it, guys! My ego. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, guys, so much. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a tough, tough journey, um, to say the least. But I, you know, I've been up and down in my journey. So I, I'm just like 
you know, there are achievements, but, you know, as high as you could go, you could also go low as well. So it's a thing where I think with everything, it's always human first for me, you know, like always human interaction first, who the person is before anything. I mean, achievement is great fantastic but you know you always love human beings for who they are I think that that comes comes first (laughs) before before anything whether you're good or bad it's like you as a human you know we all we all start off from the same um as babies you know we all develop in multiple different environments you know we all grow up to be who we are develop who we are and you know I think when you look at the human first everything else develops from from there forwards definitely oh, absolutely yeah. and that that really resonates with actually a lot of what we talk about on this podcast um you know this episode is part of uh, like a sort of mini series that we're doing in diversity in sport and also from when we spoke to tim harper of equity sport and stuff like that and we can often sort of zoom out and talk about big picture stuff and talk about sort of social political issues and stuff like that but it always comes down to individuals you know it always comes Mm -hmm. down to human beings and our their own journeys and how we come together as a community so yeah no really looking forward to to diving into some of your your stories and your experiences right oh do you know it's it's weird because it's been like three years since I've known you guys (laughs) I swear sometimes when I don't see you guys for a long time because we're already busy whenever we come together it's like ah it feels like I just saw you guys yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you guys are amazing, seriously. So yeah, I remember back me. when I first started coaching both of you, because I was coaching you, Mary, before I... I knew you, Sean, at the time, but I didn't know that he was, you know, this high-level uh, eventer. But... um like me. No, I didn't. No, no, I, I did. I just... I, I got a funny impression of you, that's all. That's all. But now... now <laughs> Now, now we're good chums, we're good chums. But it, there was a brief period of time where obviously uh, you moved on to kind of do your master's and your PhD. And then I'm not sure whether you kind of fell off the, like the training and whatever we sort of didn't, didn't coach, oh, we didn't coach each other, but I didn't train you. And then now it's gone from that to back to full circle where, you know, I was seeing you two, three times a week. And we're talking, you know, pretty much almost every day. Yeah. Um, and I agree that, like, it's so important getting into this job, it, you know, is that what's most important more than anything else above a good program, above periodizing training, above mm. specific exercises for that sport, specific exercises for that person. It's also about trying to understand who, what that type of person is how they tick, what they're going to respond to, the sort of things that you need to say to motivate them, but also to kind of give them a kick up the arse and maybe mm-hmm. bring them back down to kind of your level and just say, listen, <laughs> let's just chill for a, for a minute. And then, you know, we can start to reassess where we go from there. But if you don't have that <clears throat> relationship with that, that athlete or a mm-hmm. client or a, a coach or whatever it might be, they're not going to listen to you with that level of respect, regardless of whether it's in a professional sense or personal sense. Mm. Um, well, speaking of the human being, then tell, oh, us, tell us about Mary Avicii, you know, a bit about before we really dive into these questions. You know, Absolutely. What's, what's your background? How did you get into well, any of this? How did you get into the sport? How did you get into what you, what you're doing academically? And, and just just tell us about your life, man. 
Wow. Okay. So yeah. So we could go way, way back to um, when I started uh, athletics and running. So I started when I was how old? I think my first ever race. So I don't do athletics properly. My first ever race was when I was in year three. And me, I'm like, you know, I if I had to like myself to an animal, be a golden retriever, you know, as soon as they're just like, okay. <laughs> It's, it's time to go. My brain's like, okay, we have to run. We have to go and do whatever we have to do. So I remember, I still remember the memories when I was in year three and when the race were on the start line. It was like a cross country, but we had to do like one big round. And I remember just going off as soon as the gun went. And um, I was like, I, I just ran. I ran like I had no... <laughs> There was no like, oh my gosh, think about the pain. I was like, no, I have to make it to the end. <laughs> um, and I think that's where my love for running started. Um, and when I, I won my first race, I was like, oh, I, I, like, I like this feeling of, of winning. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's when I won my first race in year three. I did the same cross country, uh, country running in year four. Um, and I think that's where athletics and running kind of took off for me. And I started off as a cross country runner. Um, doing the long distance stuff all the way from primary school. I did high jump as well, but I was not really good at that. <laughs> but I loved it anyway. Um, and I didn't really, I didn't really start athletics, athletics until I was in, uh, I think I was 15, 15, 16. So quite, quite late. Yeah. Um, 15, 16, because I used to do like, we did like indoor sports hall. And I think that's when I got recognized by a, a club and they were like oh come and join our come and join our club and I was like yeah yeah I was one of those kids like yeah yeah I just said yes to anything oh yes yeah I'll come and join I'll go and run and do stuff as long as it meant that I did loads of running <laughs> um so that's when it took off um but I think one of the biggest barriers for me was not having uh support when I was young um in all all sides even academically and sports wise I just didn't have the support so I found at a very young age I was doing a lot of things by myself and having to use my own initiative as a kid, kid to be my own parent uh quite quite early on so it was a thing where I would have to tell myself to go to the library I would have to tell myself you have to go training um and I think I formed habits around those type of things and I'm I'm glad that it was habits around kind of healthy things <laughs> um because I I really had a deep interest for biology always have from a kid I remember there were like uh biological books or um about the body like Grey's Anatomy and I'll always be reading it like oh this is really fascinating I'm always looking at the pictures so I've always had that academic um I can't think of the word, <laughs> but I've always wanted to go down that academic biological route. And then I've always done athletics. That's always been my life that both have always married together, even till the age of 31. Funny enough, I have not changed. <laughs> um, well, that's quite interesting, though, just heard about it. But like, you know, from what you say and what you describe, like it could have really easily gone either way. Yeah. In terms of, you know, you... you have stayed true to your passions and stayed driven to to um you know achieving those things and 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 chasing those passions but with someone who is in a position that young as well of having to motivate themselves and direct themselves through that it could have gone could have gone either way you know right 
I think I think there's one thing I do recognize, especially as an adult, when you look at yourself as a kid, sometimes you do wonder, you know, you don't you don't really know anything, really. So I think having to fig figure out the world by yourself and figure out, you know, OK, not all adults are nice, even if it includes, you know, the people that are your guardians, <laughs> um, you you begin to kind of figure out the world or look at the world in a really kind of warped way. Um, and for some reason, I think athletics and academia in some weird light kind of saved me um, because it helped me focus on things and distracted me from the outwards reality. Um, so in that way, I kind of used athletics and studying as a way to distract myself from reality, but also focus on what I needed to do. So I think sometimes I stick to it because not only do I thoroughly enjoy it, but I'm also very grateful for the opportunities that I do get doing these things because it kind of reminds me of, you know, there is that alternate reality. There's, you know, that world out there that's actually nice and loving and caring. Escape. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. if you don't mind, and you don't, you can decide how much detail you want to go into, but what was that reality? So it was... I had a very terrible upbringing um, and a very like uh, abusive childhood, if I have to be honest. So um, I had a lot of trying to escape from home. I didn't really have that family support. My, uh, my parents were uh, abusive. Um, so it was a thing where I, at the age of, I, I ran away from home quite a lot. I, uh, but then I didn't really have anywhere to go to. So I ended up being taken back home by the police. <laughs> oh, shit, I'm back here again. Um, and um, it was it was one of those ones where I didn't have the emotional support. It was very violent um, and uh, very emotionally ab abusive, so to speak. So I think coming into the world and coming from that for a very long time. So I eventually left home like permanently for what well, at the age of 20 20 I I left home completely I was like I am not coming back I am now an adult I am disappearing for a long period of time I mean it was it was points even during my like when I was doing my undergrad like my they were trying to have like arranged marriages for me um at the age of 19 and these were to oh, older wow. yeah so it was a thing where I was just like yeah peace I'm out <laughs> so I uh, I have not seen my family or spoken to them for like 10 10 years so um I think from there on I think from a young age I've really tried to figure out the world for myself and figure out okay what what is actually real you know what is good what is bad you end up having to develop your own morality your own self-esteem your own you know who you are as a person because I think in those type of environments you tend to lose your identity a lot and you're just like you come out and just like who who am I and what where do I fit <laughs> in this in this world and I think with athletics and academia it's really given me a sense of who I am and even reminding me of like okay even though you didn't have time to really express who you are as a person or your true identity, you kind of look back and you just think, okay, there was something that was still there. Do you know what I mean? There was something that was still there. And for some reason, I've carried it on for a very, very long time. So I think 
now that I've had like the therapy and um, the space and the safety, I've kind of been able to express myself a little bit more. And even right now, I'm still developing my identity and still exploring who I am. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that 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 has been the previous reality that I have been through, and hence why this they have served as an escape <laughs> from what I've grown up with. That's that's insane. Oh, that's incredible. I mean, Mary, you are an unbelievable person, absolutely unbelievable. Like I, I know that obviously you've you've had to deal with a lot. But, and I've never personally asked you any of that just because to me, it didn't, it didn't really matter. You know, obviously I knew how great of a person you were, but that's just like, I don't have anything. You're fucking unbelievable. <laughs> like, stop. <laughs> honestly, uh, I, I, I'm now, <laughs> you should, do you have any more questions? Cause I'm lost for words. Well, I mean, yeah, I just want to say like, it truly is incredible. Um, knowing that, you know, your your background and like you said that reality that you come from and those sort of challenges and adversities that you faced as such a young person um and you know in spite of that becoming the person that you are and achieving the things that you've done is you know is is nothing short of incredible but you talk about you know athletics and, and and sports and academia as well being sort of an escape and an escape from that reality so i'm really interested to hear you know entering the world of world of sport and the world of athletics specifically what was that like what was that world like to you you know was it was it a place that was extremely welcoming was it a place where you felt safe and and you know how did you how did you fit in in that world of athletics do you know what I think I think safety was one of them. It was a bit of both. I think seeing both sides, you saw this like hyper competitive side and everything being about, yeah, we must win the medals or you're going to be a millionaire, blah, blah, blah. You're so talented at this and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and there was this other fun side that I really enjoyed. So I think, thank God, I was good enough at athletics to actually be able to go on uh, trips or go on, um, you know, to English schools or UK school games. And I think I met a lot of amazing people along the way. So I think what athletics brought to me was a myriad of different personalities and different ways of like uh, different relationships, different types of friendships. And I think in that way, it kind of gave me room to be a, a normal human being. <laughs> Um, and actually see what what life is really about and I, I tell you during those times I had so much fun it was it was a good escape but it also gave me that passion and that drive to keep going on I think with athletics because it's one of those very addictive sports where you know you you do the first step you do well you're like oh I need to do the next bit if you keep building up and up and up you have all the support around you where everyone's like you know you could do this, you could achieve this, you could be able to run this time, you're able to, you know, be part of UK um, um, GB athletics, blah, 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 blah. It kind of gave you that self-esteem and that emotional support that you needed, that you didn't really get home, get from home, but you got in athletics. And I think I was able to develop myself in that way. I was able to open and expand my horizons in terms of 
what is really out there in the world. And I found athletics a very safe place to be um, in terms of, it gave me that, um, I don't know, it gave me the self-esteem. It gave me the, um, it gave me the feeling of, I am actually needed <laughs> in some way. You know, it gave me that feeling that, oh, I'm actually good at something because where, you know, you're brought up in a home where people tell you that you're useless, you're going to end up being nothing. You go somewhere and it's like, well, I'm something here. So I think I'm going to stay here, you know, like, oh, uh, this, this is a mean, there's a meaning for me here in, in the sport. You know, I think the only thing where it just becomes an issue is when athletics becomes the only meaning. Um, and I think that's where I also struggled because it was like, obviously the higher up you go the more challenging it becomes you know you you're trying to aspire to do really well you know you've gone from this is my whole life and this is my whole meaning and you're just like oh but hold on there are so many other barriers in athletics as well like if you don't have the financial means sometimes it's hard to make your way up if you don't have the support yeah, so that, that was going to kind of be my next question um as someone like yourself entering the world of athletics and like you said then going higher up the levels it becomes harder and you obviously represented GB to a, to a very high level and you still continue to do so what are those sort of barriers and what are the kind of barriers of entry that that maybe you faced or you've, you've seen um, and how easy or not is it to to enter that world and, and, and be successful in it <sighs> One thing about athletics is that it is really hard. You'll get to the certain point where external factors play a very big role in how far you could make it up. So you would, from a young age, I think everyone's exactly the same, no matter where you're from, whether you are from a low socioeconomic environment or if you're really rich, as a kid, it's like everyone's on the same level, level playing field. You go there, you perform, people are just about figuring out themselves, figuring out their bodies. And even as a, at a young age, you could, you just go out and run, you know, and the older you get and the higher you get, you realize that there's actually more that you need to do. So obviously you need to do the treatment. You need to have your nutrition on point. You need to have a, a good SNC. You have to have um, someone that could look at you technically. Again, now, now, after, you know, coaches are now charging, that adds, adds an extra barrier in order to have someone to actually do your running sessions or write your running sessions um, and push you or be there for you when you're actually competing. And I, I find with that, that's where the obstacles start to play in. Um, especially, I think the biggest barrier is not having support, you know? Um, and actually, I think when it, where, when people talk about like inc being inclusive, I don't find people talk about financial inclusiveness or looking at financial diversity because you realize that actually the people that do make it on top are the people that do have the money, no matter across, across every single system or structural institution, there are times when money does become a barrier to whatever success. It doesn't matter how talented you are, money, is what could make or break you, you know? Um, I find uh, with athletics, it is, it can be, 
it can be very um it can be hard in terms of even if you are doing really well there are also people in higher power that may not see how hard you're working or probably can't see how hard you're working and sometimes you um sometimes they may uh, there may be political issues which would stop you from reaching to where you want to get to so i know for myself when i was most of the british champs i would always be top five top four and i won't make it onto the team and i just think there are so that it's very it's very hard to pinpoint what it is I think for me I just yeah. think it's very hard to pinpoint I don't know that there are financial barriers but there's this other barrier that I cannot quite name um because it's very it's it's not oh people may say oh it could be racism it could be this it could be that but actually sometimes it's like maybe it's just human nature maybe it's just favoritism maybe it's just I don't know I just think it kind of expands outside of myself in terms of why it's difficult and I cannot quite label what it is I think it's quite difficult to label is it corruption we don't know is it politics we don't know um but I do find that there are um I think once you do hit a certain level it is very hard the 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 uh, barriers become out of your control if I if that makes makes sense yeah it's very similar in weightlifting actually I think we actually had this conversation a few years back when you were mm. describing like oh yeah well I'm you know fourth in Britain fifth in Britain whatever and they're not choosing me to go and I'm like that makes no sense because if I was fifth in Britain people would be like fuck this guy's good at weightlifting <laughs> right <clears throat> but now that you say that beyond that point being fourth fifth in Britain and having the numbers doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be picked for the team yeah and it's now only in the last couple of years that the coaches who aren't part of GB pathway or, you know, the performance coaches who are actually coaching the people to Commonwealth, Europeans, mm. world champs, whatever, they're the ones calling the shots. Yeah. And even though they have this really nicely labeled pathway, like, yeah, if you achieve these numbers within these dates, we'll definitely pick you. It's, it's bullshit. It's absolute <laughs> bullshit. They just, provide these documents to all of the coaches and go, yeah, this is definitely a possibility. Everyone trains really hard. They put a lot of money into it. Like you said, they now have to pay coaches. When I first started weightlifting, I'm pretty sure that most coaches would do stuff for like a 10 a session. Mm. If that now you would never, ever be able to pay a coach 10 pound per session. Like, because it's, it's, weightlifting is now far more it is far more commercially available same yeah. as athletics but like you say yeah. it's you have to have a financial support either from yeah. family or from a benefactor a friend yeah. yourself a job and then if you have a job like you know you whatever have that also takes away from your competitive edge right being an athlete so yeah, it's very hard to hard to it's, balance, but absolutely. I think I think you really, especially with having a job or doing something on the side whilst doing athletics. Yes, it can be helpful in terms of taking your mind away from athletics, but it actually does hamper in because 
hamper like your progressment progression or achievement or even just resting which is very mm. important something that I'm learning that is really really important is actually resting yeah. <laughs> not actually doing the work but actually the resting is the most important part and I think one thing is when you do start that pressure that you had as a kid to now start performing at such a level where as a kid you just didn't have the only responsibility was to just go to school and just achieve yeah. grades you know now you're just like I have to get this project done on time I have to get do this at this deadline I have to do this amount of work write a 5,000 word essay and the next two weeks you know before I have a competition and having to plan all of that out you know it it you have that and then on top of that you'd have the pressure of now trying to achieve at such a high level against competitors that do this full time you know is is at times you just think okay I just have to work at my level and start building from that point on I think um when it comes to uh the way things are being run now I oh gosh it's just, it's, it's, um, I just don't know where it's going. <laughs> I think we've had, I just don't know where it's going. I just think it's become so monetized. Everything is, is about selling. Everything's about making money. And I understand that everyone has to survive, especially after this pandemic. Everyone's just like, I am out of pocket. So I'm going to make money no matter how, but it kind of now adds more barriers to a sport that already has enough barriers if that makes any sense and um I find I find with athletics there's no money in the sport regardless or you're not making any money in the sport in order to pay these people or to pay for this support you know and I even even in my case I find that even when you do do well it's actually having that celebratory support you know you you having that family or having someone to go back to to actually celebrate your wins to actually consolidate that actually you have done made such an achievement in such a difficult and challenging situation sometimes and not even just me but a lot of people don't have that as well so you're just like not only am I trying to break through something that's ridiculously difficult anyway making it up there doing the thing sometimes you come out of it and you're just like oh I've reached here but there's nothing tangible to actually consolidate the achievement so I think that's also a barrier in itself especially in athletics you find a lot of athletes after finishing athletics or retiring is like okay what what do I do next there's no there's no help there's no financial support in that sense it's just like you you're gone kind of thing um yeah. Um, yeah yeah no that's that's really interesting and and how you know that kind of alludes a little bit to the fact that it's so easy especially in in, in professional sport and sports that sort of are so consuming um mm. for for athletes like you know people like yourself to to um sort of tie your entire identity to to the sport and to being an athlete of the sport and then it's like you say once you come out of it where does that lead you and obviously you are in a position where you you, you have a job you 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 are also very high achieving in academia so there are you know there's other bits of your identity but I can see in in many other athletes who are just fully immersed I guess within their sports that's 
that can easily be all they have you know mm. and if the sort of support whether that's you know financial or, or mm. anything like that that support isn't there and those things aren't put in place then you get so many people just i don't know like wasting away after their career in athletics and i just wanted to rewind a little bit um you spoke about sort of the financial barriers and you know financial diversity isn't something that we really speak about um and there's a sense in which um money isn't racist it isn't this <laughs> you know like yeah it can, uh, and a lack of money and lack of financial support can affect people of, of all all backgrounds and it doesn't um obviously there are uh, sort of an uneven distribution of resources and opportunities right. and things like that but it still comes down to the fact that as the individual it doesn't matter really who you are you can be affected by lack of money and lack of financial support and i guess yeah like in my sport especially it's so fucking expensive um right you know horses just horses itself they're, they're <laughs> expensive to buy expensive to keep right. and then to keep them running and keep your sport running it it costs a lot of money and re rely really heavily on on financial support from mm. sponsors investors owners um and it's really interesting as well how you spoke about how having having a job um for example can then adversely affect your performance in the sport and it's a bit of a cycle and you know the other week at a competition i was speaking to one of the other riders and i'm not gonna name who it is obviously but she was saying you know she's really struggling at the moment with with staff so she's not able to get staff to run her stables she's she has to do a lot of the like day-to-day -day stable work herself and then you know she's having to do a lot of teaching and coaching and then also mm. buying and selling horses so that really took away from from her actual riding and competing and right. you know she's not doing that well competitively at the moment and she knows for sure that's that's one of the biggest reasons why um so yeah i mean a couple of directions we go with this but you know do you think there is potential or the, there's an avenue in which sort of the community the, the community in athletics or sort of the governing bodies should and could do more in terms of support whether that's financially or things like that because you know we can also talk about you know racial representation and things like that but quite mm. often that just looks like or, or, or perceived as sort of a box to tick you know a problem to be solved rather than giving people actual opportunities and and financial support and incentives right. to give them the autonomy to potentially be successful in the sport so yeah like what are your your thoughts on that see this is this is uh, that's that's a good one because um i think one of the definitions because when you talk about performance that uh, diversity and inclusion performance you know one thing i do think it is a performance because I think when it comes to actually understanding what does inclusion actually mean, I don't think people, I don't think there's an actual definition. I think people think, oh, if I say inclusion, it just means they are presently there. But someone being presently there, you don't know their backstory to how they got there. You know, there's a lot of push for, oh, representation. I completely agree. Yes, we need representation. But if you're talking about people that are victims, I use the word victims loosely, of structural inequalities, social inequalities, health inequalities. 
how do you expect them to get there to even represent to be included in your included quota you know like it, it there's just so many steps and i think one of the big one one barrier and it, it, this is part of my research is looking at structural inequalities looking at healthcare or social inequalities and you know actually starting from the basics looking at maslow's hierarchy of needs you know the basic need is shelter food and I think there's one more, but I forgot. <laughs> but really basic, basic needs. And sometimes when you look at it, some of the basic needs are not being met. But then when these needs are not met, how do you expect them to reach the top if they can't even reach the first step? You know, I think when we want to talk about, I think when it when it comes to governing bodies, I think we need to be more in depth when it comes to inclusion what is the person on the individual level going through in order for them to represent? You know, the first thing we need to look at is social mobility. When I was going, growing up, and I think a lot of athletes of my generation would say, you know, when we were during, during school, we would have EMA, which was like 30 pound a week to help us with any studies that we need, books, or anything to help us, even to pay for UCAS, because UCAS was half of your EMA money. <laughs> so that was, that was, um, that was, something that helped us even if it was little it was something that helped us to take that next step step up for us to enter into university for us to uh, pay for stuff because I wasn't receiving any money from my parents so it was like okay this is the only source of income that I had but now that all of this has been cut I wonder what children or teenagers that you know that are from my background would have to actually escape or to even mobilize themselves into you know into higher into higher places or to meet these base, basic needs and i think this is one thing that across all needs to be spoken about the structural and social barriers in order to meet the next step because you cannot expect people to be included in academia or university or you know to be uh, part of gb uh, the gb um the chief gb squad if they can't, if some of them haven't even had breakfast to go training, mm. you know, this, the, 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 these are things that I, I do find that there's nothing looking at the collective experience of athletes altogether. No one knows where these athletes have come from or what their background is. There's an assumption and these assumptions are based on racial assumptions that, you know, oh, if yeah, you're, absolutely right? If you're, if you're from this particular ethnic group, then you must have had this experience if you're from this. And it's like, this is not the case. <laughs> you know, this is not the case. What is really going on? Nobody really knows. So how could you talk about diversity and inclusion if you don't even know who you're actually bringing to the table, if you have no understanding of where they've come from, who they are, what do they know? You know, I think one thing with diversity and inclusion as well is that it's very, very much based on identity as opposed to, again, the, the character of the, the person, who they are, what they're good at, what they're not good at. And I feel like people don't even have, because of this, they don't even have the, the space to even explore other sides of themselves. It's like they're very restricted to this one identity or this one way of thinking or perceiving uh, reality. And I find that hinders how far diversity and inclusion can be explored. Um, and I think that's, that is uh, one of the issues, like 
if you're going to be inclusive, what are we including and who are we including? You know, it's it's um it's a uh, it's actually knowing knowing the people, knowing knowing the people, knowing the athletes, knowing the um the the researchers, knowing the students, um because not just because I am black doesn't mean that my experience as a black person is going to be the same as the next black person or you know your experience as an Asian person is not going to be the same as everyone else you know but then I could have the same experience as a white person that's been a white man that has been through the same thing as me and is still trying to make their way up but because we're two different races we're going to have two different assumptions being put on us so um yeah no just yeah sorry yeah because that's such a such a good point I just wanted to pick up on that the fact that a lot of this you know representation and, and inclusivity stuff is so tied to like you say tied to the identity that they in quotation marks assign to you right so mm. you know you become uh i don't know if it feels that way um sort of a box that's ticked of this sort of quota of oh look we are representing um black female athletes who have who have made it um, mm. and, you know it's I think it's very easy to I guess celebrate celebrate the athletes and the people of that given identity who have made it but mm. it's much harder to from the bottom up like give this actual support and and the basics needed for people from not just those backgrounds like all backgrounds to yeah. actually get to that point right um, and so I think yeah I, I completely agree with you there needs to be sort of a shift in perception but also in in action um, right. kind of the governing bodies and and sort of more structurally um, what can be what, what should be done in terms of actually having a more diverse and inclusive uh, community within a sport and it's not mm. just not just putting on posters and celebrating the sort of tokenistic yeah people who have made it but actually giving people those opportunities and the support and the tools yeah a hundred percent i think the difficult thing as well that you both mentioned there is one do they even know how to do that and two if they don't have a background in if they've always been included financially racially whatever ethnically they have no clue how to make something inclusive unless they start to ask people who have come from those backgrounds and not had that financial support and that, i think that's one of the difficult things is like with weightlifting with athletics the barrier to entry is very low you know, mm. when you first start out. But as you mentioned, the higher up you get, the more support you require, whether that be paying for your bills, whether it be paying for food, whether it be tr maybe not having a job so you can actually train as hard as you can and have the time to recover. But when you go to the coaches and you say like, or whatever, you know, you're trying to get the support that maybe someone already has, Mm. you both mentioned it that it is like a tick box exercise because they don't have they have this nice neat framework but mm. if anything doesn't fit inside that framework they don't know what to do they don't yeah. know how to help you yeah you know like they've gone oh yeah so if this person lives in this area and they don't have this amount of money and 
they're from this racial or ethnical background, then we can give them this much support. Mm. But you're like, but <laughs> that's 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 like you're talking about it as if they've ticked three different boxes and gone, here's your level of support. But, you, you know, that like you said, you can't tar everyone with the same brush. So I wonder if it's just a lack of maybe not so much education, but a lack of understanding individuality versus just trying to go, oh, yeah, we, we're inclusive. We do this. This is the thing. I haven't maybe there maybe there are papers out there i haven't really studied it myself because there's no <laughs> i can't study everything but um the thing is i have not seen anything that actually looks at athletic experience as a whole you know uh, are looking at from not just from an elite perspective but all the way down to an amateur someone that's starting out you know i have not seen anything that talks about i have uh um you know, about, about the individual experience, but then putting them together to form some generalized experience, if that makes any sense. So there's nothing, there's, there's, there's nothing um, out there actually tackling this um, because I just, I feel like number one is there, there is, there, is there resources to do this anyway? And second of all, are they really concerned if people could do the bare minimum and it's still good enough? <laughs> You know, if if I if if I was running a company and I knew that the bare minimum was, oh, I just have to put a poster, and everyone's gonna be like, yeah, well done, yeah, we love. Would I want to do any more? Would I really want to look into it? These are other things as well. You know, it wouldn't come up unless someone brings it up. Sometimes, you know, you wouldn't know unless someone tells you, look, this is the part that you're missing. You know, you wouldn't. It, it, it's something that you won't know unless you're told about it you know it's like if you if you're not aware then you wouldn't be aware unless someone makes you <laughs> aware that this is also yeah. a, a barrier um and I think one thing across the board especially with the way I hate to talk about politics but the way things are going I think everything is strongly based on an identity as opposed to uh looking at on an individual level experience as well experience and actually what is really going on behind the scenes um because it, it literally like i said ass assumptions are being thrown at you tick box are being thrown at you but you, there's 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 never that depth going into this uh there, there isn't really that depth in um understanding the athlete or athletes as a whole um <sighs> But the one thing I do I can say is that diversity inclusion is a very tough thing to tackle. I think it's, oh, it's, it's I think it's very I think it's just very complicated. I this is why whenever people talk about the isolators, I just don't have the answers or I don't know what to say. At times, I'm just like I actually don't know. I understand that there are there are a myriad of things that need to be tackled, and like we all came to conclusion, there's three things that we need to tackle. But I'm sure there's a lot more that we don't know about. But I just think again the whole representation thing great but if we're not actually looking it, it just number one puts the onus on people to now work their way up in a system that has way too many barriers and these barriers have not been really looked into and also it takes away you know responsibility from people that are higher up to actually reduce these barriers or actually take away unnecessary barriers you know if there are way, ways of 
you know, if someone, for example, I'll take my case, for example, if someone is top four in America, you're automatically on the team regardless, right? Here, I, if, if anything, because I don't make the team, it means that I don't get the sponsorship and the support. Then I end up going full circle, having to now build and work my way up. How could you now talk about representation from different backgrounds if you already can't even make it to the, the first step, the first part that would actually get you that financial needs to go a full 160 and spiral upwards rather than just staying in the same spot every year. You're still trying to make the team to now come top four, not receive the funding or receive the support or anything to actually now take the next step up. Um, and I think that is something that, uh, you know, uh, they or the higher ups really do need to take into consideration, you know, mm -hmm. that actually when you do, when you do reject someone, even when they're trying their best and they're better than most people in the country, when you do reject them, you are actually hindering, like they're not able to make that next step up, but yet you're pressurizing them to make that next step up. And I think that's what representation does. It just puts pressure on people that are already struggling to now get into these places in order to be the, the, the shining star, to be the inspiration for everyone. It's like, well, that's not gonna happen, is it? <laughs> the reality of that. And I, I whether they know that or not, I don't know. Um, because I'm not there, I'm not in their meetings or I'm not in anything. But I do find, again, even within, even within, um, you know, even within uh, certain communities, there is, there is still that push for representation. I'm just like, but that's a very hard thing to do. It takes the responsibility from people that actually should be reducing barriers or, you know, softening barriers um, to actually do that. And more so for people to keep struggling and striving their way up. Um, so I think this this is the one of my issues with the whole. Um... I was actually yeah no I'm really glad that you said that because it, you kind of mentioned it in passing earlier and I was going to pick up on it um, the fact that sort of I guess what we're kind of describing as a, like sort of a tokenistic kind of representation um, and how that is so tied to to identity and, and not necessarily your own identity but what the identity that you were perceived to have and, and yeah. what you've been assigned and you know do you think that that is yeah like one of the main main issues and, and it's actually hindering the sort of inclusive and equal um sporting community that we we strive to have because I mean, I, I sort of see it from different angles and, and just as, for example, like as an athlete and, and I'm pretty sure you would agree and, and most people would agree, like I don't just want to be known as like a good, a good rider, a good Asian rider, you know? Or, yeah. Uh, this is an Asian rider who's, who's made it this far. I just want to be known as, as, as a good as a good rider you know right um, regardless of of my my race my background like it doesn't i want mm. it to get to a point where all of that is irrelevant mm. um but there's also you know there's also also the argument that in in an ideal world that would be irrelevant but you know that isn't where we are now and yeah so we're kind of in a place at the moment where those things do help to to 
move things forward and move and push forward um, sort of diversity and inclusivity. And, you know, those are kind of the tools that we need. So I'm just a bit, um, yeah, I, I have very mixed feelings about these things. So I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts. No, I, 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 I completely agree. I completely agree. I, I think the, I think this is um, more so the beginning stages. I do feel like it's an evolution in itself. I mean, we, it took us like how many years to evolve as human beings to even reach to where we are. And there's always been ups and downs, you know, it's never been linear. So I think with diversity evolution, I think it's going in, whether I say the right direction, yes. But again, with everything, there is always room for improvement, right? Otherwise we will just be staying at the same spot and everyone will just be like, yeah, this is, this is all we need to do. But obviously there'll be people that will be like, no, there are loopholes, there are issues, there are problems. These are, you know, this is just the beginning stages. This is how we can develop being more inclusive. But I think with society now, we've now started at the beginning where there were very strong barriers previously as well. I mean, we were coming from where black, black people, white people couldn't mix together to, you know, like discrimination that's probably still still there now you know discrimination entering different institutions I think now that we have this awareness I think the first thing is generating awareness now that we have that I think it would take step by step to get to where we need to get to and I think again probably pushing these points that yes you are Asian and I'm black and I'm in these spaces and I'm working uh, I'm doing this and this and this it's helpful because context context specific it is helpful especially in academia where you know you don't have a lot of black professors I think it's like 0.1 percent so actually saying we have this black professor at for example whatever institution is is a big thing and I think later on throughout the years maybe in 50 60 years time then it will slowly now dissipate into this is a normal thing I think we will always be building our way through things and I think what where we have identity I, politics as this initial phase of hey this is who I am this is all my phenotypes right now I am black I'm this I'm disabled I'm whatever blah, blah 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 this is all brought to the forefront I think later on it will now start coming back to yes I'm all these things but I'm also this and I could just be a good writer or I could just be a good writer or I could be a good academic and I think it's all part of human evolution. That's my only conclusion, because I think when you read, uh, reading a lot of literature, like previous literature, the, this has all been spoken about before, and we've all been making the same mistakes. Human beings have been making the same mistakes over and over and over again. You know, I think it's one of those things where we will now slowly but surely now start generating awareness and i'm sure in a hundred years time maybe we, we all won't be alive but oh well <laughs> in a hundred years time our next generations will be having conversations that are completely different we'll now be discriminating between being a normal human and being a cyborg you know that <laughs> i think we will always always talk about our differences um, and talk about how we're going to be more inclusive. I think it will always be a conversation next uh, in the next coming years, but I think it will just develop as we go along. And I think representation, like I said, is great in this context, but then there are many loopholes and many things that we also need to think about if we really want to develop our, our, our diversity and inclusion presentation, if that's the word to use. But yeah.
Yeah. So, so just quickly, kind of rewinding back to that, you kind of mentioned obviously the tokenistic Asian rider, whatever you know that sort of thing. But whose responsibility do you think it is? You know, you kind of alluded to it already, but just to kind of round it off before we move on to, I guess, another topic. Like, whose responsibility do you think it is to sort of bring that, keep bringing that forward, paying that forward? Do you think it's the the athletes do you think it's the coaches do you think it's the governing bodies the academics or do you think it's just everybody collectively like having a deeper understanding of we have to not not so much have to but we need to include people because it makes it makes us as human beings be able to actually generate more ideas and better sport and mm. you know it, it's far deeper than just like oh no we can't have that person you know, or we can have that person because it's underrepresented. It's it doesn't even it doesn't even come down to that. It's more about like this person could be so talented, but we have no idea if we don't make it inclusive. Right. Um, so yeah, well, this is this is this is where it comes to defining what inclusive means and also looking at rather than equality, looking at equity, right? So looking at okay, well. We want to be inclusive. We know that this person is super talented, but we understand that the, there are these barriers. We need to either put funding or put some kind of social mobility or even some type of financial help to help this person move forward. And it's not just financial help in terms of, oh, I'm just gonna hand them any amount of money because again, that amount of money may not even help them even make the first, first step. So it's actually looking thoroughly at the athlete that you're looking to represent whatever you're trying to represent you know if it means representing different types of uh different types of people racially or you know intellectual diversity wherever it is um i think it is the onus is on everyone including including the athlete i would say that there is accountability that the athlete needs to take if and how they want to be represented as well because you do find a lot of people athletes will take on these assumptions or stereotypes just to live you know or just to just to just to do what they need to do or to, to be good in the sport even if it even if it causes harm to the community at times so I do think um the onus and the uh, responsibility is on everyone but I think there are different levels of responsibility in terms of people in the higher in higher places being able to give whatever support and help that the person needs in order to make it there to represent or to be inclusive because you can't be inclusive if people can't even make it to your inclusivity quota you know um that that would be my only uh kind of uh answer to the question if i hope it, i hope it made sense because I, I, I yeah definitely yeah. So I'm going to finish off with a little story that happened back last week um, in British weightlifting, which kind of rocks the boat a lot. And I was going to speak to you, Sean, about this over the weekend, but because he was busy competing and stuff. So I'm not sure if you guys kind of, I know I always refer back to weightlifting, but when you love a sport so much, you know, it, it, that's all you ever seem to talk about. So basically there was, a, I, I won't name names just because, you know, whatever. So there was a two female athletes um both have been to the olympics both were training partners both were living together both had the same coach uh in all intents and purposes both had exactly the same equal opportunities you know 
both the same level of support leading up mm. to 2022. Uh, sorry, 2020, but it was 2021. Tokyo, to- let's just say Tokyo Olympics because 2020 to 2022 doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> but basically, one of the athletes was chosen for funding mm. and her friend turned around and was, she was very discriminatory uh, to that fellow athlete. Uh, here's what British weightlifting did. They gave her a final warning. They told her to apologize in writing to the athlete, which is fair enough. Mm. They then asked her to attend an equality, diversity and inclusion seminar for one hour done by British weightlifting. She's now banned for three months. (laughs) Wow. And they published this on the website and the, the athlete in question put, posted up on social media and she was like, guys, I'm so, so... also the athlete I'm talking about, she's, she's a white female, just, just mm. to put it out there. She, she put up on her, on her Instagram, on her social media. Uh, I'm appalled that, you know, I, I said what I said, fair enough. You apologized. Then she goes on to say, I'm sad that I have to step down as I do uh, head of athlete commission. So she was actually helping inclusion diversity and equality for the iwf Mm. and behind closed doors she said this to not only you know a fellow weightlifter but a flatmate a training partner and i was just like what the fuck has just happened (laughs) like i thought we were making pretty good headway that is generally very inclusive and Mm. i know this is is a one-off well i say it's a one-off it's probably not but it's it's a one-off from what I've heard, at least. Well, yeah. it's not a one-off in the sense that, like you say, like she was um, heading a, you know, structurally and organizationally um, pushing forward this, um, apparently sort of the diversity and, and inclusion within your sport. And mm. someone like that is still, um, you know, still a human being and still have their own views and opinions and perspectives and are able to to do these things and and I think it comes down to the fact that we do have to remember like a lot of like Mary like you said it it, it's it's an evolution and and there are a lot of these inequalities and inequities are come from sort of quite deeply rooted sort of structural problems and and views and perspectives that were slowly starting to change um but you know it's it's really interesting to hear as well um when uh, and everyone if it was all bad and just flat out just racist and discriminatory like none of us would be in in it um but for you you know it was a really good like a, a, a world where you escaped from from the reality that you're in and, and was able to I guess uh, find yourself and and things like that and and you know so whilst we talk about a lot of these issues like yeah I just think it's really important to put into into perspective and it, I I often like struggle with this question of when we talk about inclusivity you know who who are we including um 
and you know a, a few years ago in it, there was something that happened in in world rugby actually that that shook the i guess the rugby community where israel falau who who was at the time playing for australia um mm. he posted on his social media something about you know basically saying that all homosexuals are going to hell um <laughs> right and and he you know he was i guess traditionally an extremely devout uh christian and you know he i, I don't remember he was from one of the pacific islands i, I don't remember mm. specifically which one but um you know he posted that on on his instagram and what happened was basically straight away world rugby find him and banned him from from mm. playing international rugby um and but interestingly since then a lot of a lot of other players um notably from like other pacific island players um and perhaps a lot of other players from similar backgrounds had had come out and sort of not in support of what he said but sort of in support of him as a person and it's like they're basically saying that you know he said something wrong and he recognized it um but that is you know where he comes from and that is his belief which kind of basically alluding to the fact that we're all we all have our own beliefs and we're all entitled to our own beliefs and while you're including some people you're excluding others um and it's just such a difficult terrain to sort of navigate through um and like you say we're i think we're just at the start of it yeah this is the thing i think we're at the start of that i think when it comes to belief systems all of us can say it's very hard to like change your belief system even when it's beneficial for you let alone beneficial for other people um i think the thing is we are all victims um and we're all susceptible to bias right because our experiences we are either brainwashed or we are either um made to believe or told to believe or conditioned to believe that this is the right way of living you know especially when we're very community based as well as social beings we all want to be in a community that feels the same way says the same thing so every time all of us will be projecting our own sense of belief onto other people however on the same side there are beliefs that are harmful to to other people um and I think that's something that people need to be aware of, you know, and I think that comes with education, understanding and also uh, trust. I feel like the biggest barrier when it comes to uh, edu educating or learning something new is actually trust of information and trust that actually changing this belief system will lead to better outcomes. The reason you have these belief systems is because it's been helping you for a very, very long time or has saved you, you know, from a, you know, a religious sense from the evils or temptations of the world, right? So when you do have these things, most of them serve to protect you. And I find when people are openly expressive of how they feel, whether it causes harm to other people, they're not seeing it as, oh, this is, this is harmful to other people. They're seeing it as, as I am saving myself and all these other people from this, this reality that would, would take me to hell according to this, this book, right? So I think this is, this is one of those things where, again, seeing it from both sides, but knowing that people are trying to protect themselves. And I think this is where, again, 
rather than looking at the person as the person is solely evil for having these beliefs, actually understanding that they have these beliefs and it's come from somewhere, but it's actually being able to generate some type of trust in this new information instead of them being more defensive you know, because when you start calling people names or shaming them, people become def defensive and even stronger in their beliefs, especially if it's a belief where, you know, the belief the 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 higher being has told you that you're going to have um, travesty, you're going to have, you know, challenges and people are always going to challenge your belief, but you're going to show me that you believe, believe in me more by actually fighting these things, by actually saying, you know, okay, you have these beliefs is understandable because you've come from this background it's it, you, you kind of have to like break down well what about loving people what about showing love to your neighbors knowing that god created everyone equally and the same you know and god created everyone in their image by shaming are you really going to make any changes you know if if you shame me and tell me i'm gonna go to hell for being gay i'm not gonna be like oh my god i need to stop being gay <laughs> when would that ever happen never you know <laughs> If you go around shaming people, they're never going to change. They just mm. become stronger in who they are. They become defensive. Yeah. And they're just like, well, actually, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to be the gayest ever. I'm going to be <laughs> flying my flags everywhere. Do you, you know, like it's, it's, it's never shaming or using negative tactics in order to change people is never going to change people, mm. you know. Yeah. And I find the other way around, if people have very negative opinions, shaming them, you know, closing them off. Obviously, there has to be punishment. I am I am all for punishment because you have to have some kind of negative reinforcement, but not shaming, but more so psychologically rehabilitating, if that's the right word, you know, like in terms of having them open to other types of way of seeing things, you know, that these are people's way of life. It's not, it's not affecting you in any way. You know, they made their choice. They're adults, you know. Um, because there are a lot of there are a lot of things in other religions or with other beliefs that even are harmful to themselves that you can't you know they wouldn't recognize because people Absolutely. always be biased biased to what they believe and the same for the high commissioning lady who said what she had to say which was negative and yeah good thing she got punished for it but it's a thing where you cannot change people's belief unless they really want to change people's belief. If you start changing people's beliefs, it's more so having control over them when they really need that sense of control over themselves. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think people it's very difficult to now generate awareness. And hence why I said this is like the beginning stages where people are now going to become more aware of there are different types of people around me. I'm not the only person that exists. I'm the, the only person with this type of mind. People have different ways of thinking. People have different ways of seeing things, perceiving things, different opinions. This is normal, but it's about not shaming and, you know, making someone feel more strong in their opinion, you know, because they, they always will. It's always about actually, well, what you're saying is wrong because blah, 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 blah. And actually by looking at it in this way and reframing it, you know, if this person gets funding and you don't, it has nothing to do with you per se. It's not about your self-worth. And it's probably because she felt insecure. She felt unworthy. She felt hard done by. She felt that, oh my gosh, they're probably meeting this diversity and inclusion quota. And it's not, uh, and it's probably like, oh my gosh, I'm white. That's probably my downfall. Do you know what I mean? You now start questioning yourself, your identity and your self-worth. And that's probably what happened to her, that she's now projected it onto this other person. 
Again, when it comes to the people that make these selections, we don't know what they're thinking. We don't know who's behind the scenes. We don't know if they know someone who knows someone. We, we don't know, you know, and it's very easy because I know that I went down this route where when I got rejected or whatever, it was very easy to internalize and make it about yourself and then project all your biases onto other people as opposed to realizing that maybe it has nothing to do with me per se. There was just something happening in the higher control yeah yeah. right right because she the the lady that she's um projecting this onto it's not her fault she didn't do anything she just she just sat there and received the funding she was like okay thank you (laughs) (laughs) you know but it's like you also project this onto people that are on your level because Mm. she would never do this to people in higher positions she would never go there and say hey how dare you i've done this blah 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 blah. why why can't you know why, why can't we share the funding or why can't you Absolutely, equally distribute yeah. the, the funding if Definitely. that's the case? You know, I think yeah. this, is, this, is, this is one of the uh, issues, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> that, that's yeah. why I asked about earlier about the responsibility of who it is as well, because since that's come out, a lot of, a lot of people in British weightlifting, not even like from the national governing body, I'm talking about athletes, coaches, friends of her mm. also, you know, even just coaches that I know have shared their opinion on like, this is not okay. You know, I'm, and they're, they're bringing it to light in loads mm-hmm. of different social circles. Yeah. You know? Not even just in London, you know, they've actually shared it outside of the realm mm-hmm. of British weightlifting, which yeah. is a great thing because yeah. that's how you learn and how you, if, if you don't bring these things to light, then yeah it just gets swept under the carpet and what do you mean nothing happened no no that wasn't a thing (laughs) um right yeah well this is just the beginning like like absolutely and honestly like we could i I think we can speak for hours (laughs) like we can go on for the rest of the day um right but unfortunately i think we have all got work (laughs) (laughs) very much so Uh, yeah honestly it's been an incredible conversation and so insightful um and i know that i've learned a lot um Mm -hmm. not just about you which is also an amazing story but also just about about the world you know about the world that we live in and it's been you know i've learned it's been insightful it's been inspirational and as i was taking away a lot from this conversation so thank you so much for coming on oh thank you for having me i mean i've learned a lot as well i (laughs) I'm always open to learning. And I think, yeah, no, for sure. This has been really, really great. I really enjoyed this podcast and uh, conversation. And yeah, obviously we could we could speak for hours, you know, 10 hours, I'll still be sleeping. We'll both be skeletons like, oh, yeah. yes, inclusion. <laughs> well, before, before we all go, like, just do you want to plug yourself? Where can people find you? And what's next? What's next for Mario Dici? Oh, gosh. Well, for some reason, I'm taking a, you know, a sabbatical leave from social media, but I will be back on. <laughs> probably, it's probably a good thing, to be fair, Mary. Yeah, <laughs> I just needed space from the world. <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is too much. I'm overwhelmed. But yeah, no, I'll definitely be back on. So if you want to catch me, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I can't remember my names, but I will find it. But it's my name. But one has an underscore it. somewhere. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so yeah I'm at King's so if you find me at King's I'm there um and I think the next thing for me is trying to make the team 
for because this year is quite a big year so there's the world's the commonwealth and uh europeans but for me i'm starting off small because again pandemic has really taken me back so i'm first working on actually getting a pb <laughs> and getting myself back into fitness get, getting myself back to where i i was before if not better especially working with connor i'm just like yeah this, this is gonna be good getting there <laughs> We're getting there. So, um, yeah, definitely coming back slowly but surely. And I'll be back on social media doing my thing that I don't do because I don't do anything on social media. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Brilliant. Thank you so much Thank for coming you. on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Thank you so much. You again. No and uh, sorry to take up so much of your time, but oh, it, no. it was just oh, too no. interesting. Too oh. interesting. <laughs> Please take up all the time. I could talk yeah. forever. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you very much for tuning into another episode. We hope you enjoyed this one. Mary, it's been an absolute pleasure. Guys, we shall catch you on the next Thank one. You. Thank Ooh. you. So, Yushuan, do you want to plug where people can find you? Yeah. So, on Instagram, I am at yushuan.su.eventing. On Facebook, I am yushuan.su.eventing. And my website is suyushuaneventing.com. What about you, Connor? Mine is at Stuff on Instagram and at Stoic Strength Systems on Instagram. And we was also just set up a Patreon under the same name, Stoic Strength Systems. So give those a follow. I will put the links all down in the description if I figure out how to do it. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you like, share and subscribe to the podcast on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll see you next time.